Section 15 of The Life of Abraham Lincoln, Volume 2, by Ida Tarbell. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter 29. Lincoln's Work in the Winter of 1864-65. His Second Inauguration. Part 2. The third matter which engrossed Lincoln after his election was Reconstruction. From the very beginning of the war he had watched for opportunities, however small, to bring back into the Union disaffected districts and individuals. He was not particular about the way in which the wanderer returned. It was enough, in Mr. Lincoln's opinion, if he acknowledged the Union. Portions of Tennessee, Arkansas, and Louisiana were put under military rule in the first six months of 1862 in order to encourage the Union sympathizers to keep up a semblance of Republican government, and whenever the President had a chance, he encouraged the avowed Unionists in these states to get together so as to form a nucleus for action when the opportunity offered by the end of eighteen sixty three mr lincoln believed that the time had come for him publicly to offer protection and pardon to those persons and districts which had been in rebellion but which had had enough of the experience and were ready to come back he believed from what he could learn that there was a considerable number of these accordingly in december in sending his annual message to congress he issued a proclamation of amnesty and reconstruction the proclamation offered pardon to all save the persons who had led the rebellion upon their taking an oath to support the constitution and accept the emancipation proclamation it also promised to protect any state government formed in accordance with a few simple and just regulations which he set forth very clearly a few weeks after the proclamation was issued the president anxious to know how it was working sent general d e sickles on an inspection tour please ascertain at each place he wrote him what is being done if anything for reconstruction how the amnesty proclamation works if at all what practical hitches if any there are about it whether deserters come in from the enemy what number has come in at each point since the amnesty and whether the ratio of their arrival is any greater since than before the amnesty what deserters report generally and particularly whether and to what extent the amnesty is known within the rebel lines as the months went on lincoln found that in spite of the fact that efforts at forming governments were making and that the pardon was being accepted by many persons there was strong and bitter opposition even in the republican party to his plans of reconstruction no little of this opposition was resentment that the president had worked the plan alone and had announced it without consulting anybody congress said that he was usurping their rights many felt that the pardon lincoln offered was too generous rebels should be punished not pardoned they argued many declared the states which had seceded could not be allowed to reorganize without congressional action at the same time the president was constantly harassed by contests between the military and civil authorities in the states which were trying to organize these contests seemed so unreasonable and so selfish to mr lincoln that he wrote some very plain letters to the persons concerned few things since i have been here he wrote general hurlbut in november have impressed me more painfully than what for four or five months past has appeared a bitter military opposition to the new state government of louisiana 
a very fair proportion of the people of louisiana have inaugurated a new state government making an excellent new constitution better for the poor black man than we have in illinois this was done under military protection directed by me in the belief still sincerely entertained that with such a nucleus around which to build we could get the state into position again sooner than otherwise in this belief a general promise of protection and support applicable alike to louisiana and other states was given in the last annual message during the formation of the new government and constitution they were supported by nearly every loyal person and opposed by every secessionist and this support and this opposition from the respective standpoints of the parties was perfectly consistent and logical every unionist ought to wish the new government to succeed and every disunionist must desire it to fail its failure would gladden the heart of slidell in europe and of every enemy of the old flag in the world every advocate of slavery naturally desires to see blasted and crushed the liberty promised the black man by the new constitution but why general canby and general hurlbut should join on the same side is to me incomprehensible after his re-election in spite of all opposition lincoln steadily supported the new state governments his practical common sense in dealing with a difficult problem never showed to better advantage than in the plan of reconstruction he had offered and was trying it was not the only plan he kept repeating but it was accomplishing something was not this better than nothing if it proved bad he would change it for a better one if a better one was offered but until it was shown that it was adverse to the interests of the people he was trying to bring back into the union he should follow it as for the abstract question over which a great part of the north was quarrelling whether the seceded states were in the union or out of it he would not consider it it was bad as the basis of a controversy he declared and good for nothing at all a merely pernicious abstraction we all agree he continued that the seceded states so called are out of their proper practical relation with the union and that the sole object of the government civil and military in regard to those states is to again get them into the proper practical relation i believe that it is not only possible but in fact easier to do this without deciding or even considering whether these states have ever been out of the union than with it finding themselves safely at home it would be utterly immaterial whether they had ever been abroad let us all join in doing the acts necessary to restoring the proper practical relations between these states and the union and each forever after innocently indulge his own opinion whether in doing the acts he brought the states from without into the union or only gave them proper assistance they never having been out of it as the winter passed into the spring the president saw every day that the end was approaching and as he realized that at last the mighty problem over which he had agonized for so many months was unfolding as he saw not only that the primary object for which he had been struggling the union was to be attained but that even before this end was attained the evil which had caused all the trouble was to be eradicated he experienced a lofty exultation 
a fresh realization that the will of god prevails in human affairs from the time of his election he had been animated by a simple theory if we do right god will be with us and if god is with us we cannot fail he had struggled to see what was right and no man or men had been able to bring to bear pressure heavy enough to turn him from a step he had concluded was right yet as the days went on he saw his cause fail again and again many times it seemed on the verge of destruction he pondered deeply over this seeming contradiction was he wrong in his own judgment of what was right or could it be that god had some end in view different from either that of the north or south late in eighteen sixty two evidently to help clear up his mind he wrote down on a slip of paper a statement of the puzzling problem his secretaries later found it and published it in their history the will of god prevails in great contests each party claims to be in accordance with the will of god both may be and one must be wrong god cannot be for and against the same thing at the same time in the present civil war it is quite possible that god's purpose is something different from the purpose of either party and yet the human instrumentalities working just as they do are of the best adaptation to effect his purpose i am almost ready to say that this is probably true that god wills this contest and wills that it shall not end yet by his mere great power on the minds of the now contestants he could have either saved or destroyed the union without a human contest yet the contest began and having begun he could give the final victory to either side any day yet the contest proceeds as time went on and his conviction that his cause was right grew stronger in spite of the reverses he suffered he began to feel that god's purpose was to wipe out slavery and that the war was a divine retribution on north as well as south for the toleration of slavery in a letter written in april eighteen sixty four he expressed this view at the end of three years struggle the nation's condition is not what either party or any man devised or expected god alone can claim it whither it is tending seems plain if god now wills the removal of a great wrong and wills also that we of the north as well as you of the south shall pay fairly for our complicity in that wrong impartial history will find therein new cause to attest and revere the justice and goodness of god by the spring of eighteen sixty five this explanation of the continuation of the war fully possessed him and in his inaugural he laid it before the people in a few solemn beautiful sentences a prophet's cry to a nation bidding them to complete the task the lord god almighty had set before them and to expiate in humility their sins the almighty has his own purposes he said woe unto the world because of offences for it must needs be that offences come but woe to that man by whom the offence cometh if we shall suppose that american slavery is one of those offences which in the providence of god must needs come but which having continued through his appointed time he now wills to remove and that he gives to both north and south this terrible war as the woe due to those by whom the offence came 
shall we discern therein any departure from those divine attributes which the believers in a living god always ascribe to him fondly do we hope fervently do we pray that this mighty scourge of war may speedily pass away yet if god wills that it continue until all the wealth piled by the bondsman's two hundred and fifty years of unrequited toil shall be sunk and until every drop of blood drawn with the lash shall be paid by another drawn with the sword as was said three thousand years ago so still it must be said the judgments of the lord are true and righteous altogether with malice toward none with charity for all with firmness in the right as god gives us to see the right let us strive on to finish the work we are in to bind up the nation's wounds, to care for him who shall have borne the battle, and for his widow and his orphan, to do all which may achieve and cherish a just and lasting peace among ourselves and with all nations. It was in this lofty spirit that Abraham Lincoln entered on his second term. Every act of the few days of that term which he served was in full harmony with the words of his inaugural although the criticism on him for pardoning prisoners of war was at that time very bitter even general grant protesting against his broad exercise of the pardoning power he could be persuaded easily to set free any man or men for whom any honest official would vouch honorable john b henderson then in the united states senate from missouri relates for this work his experience in securing pardons from lincoln in the spring of eighteen sixty five from eighteen sixty two to eighteen sixty five says mr henderson the conditions were such in missouri that every man was obliged to espouse actively either the union or the confederate cause no man really was safe out of one army or another property was insecure and if a person attempted to remain neutral he was suspected by both confederates and federals and was liable to be arrested by either side and his property destroyed during the progress of the war a large number of missourians had been arrested by the federals and were confined in the military prisons many of them at st louis where the mcdowell medical college had been taken and used for that purpose and some at Alton, Illinois, about 25 miles above St. Louis, on the river. The friends and relations of many of these military prisoners appealed to me to secure their release, or to save them from whatever sentence had been pronounced. These sentences, of course, varied. In flagrant cases, where they were convicted of acting as spies, or of prosecuting guerrilla warfare, the death sentence was sometimes ordered, but not often inflicted others were condemned to prison for life or during the war few of the death sentences were ever inflicted there was a tacit understanding among the military authorities that while a show of severity be kept up it was only under extreme circumstances that a prisoner should be executed towards the close of the winter of eighteen sixty four sixty five i found that i had a large number of these applications for clemency and pardon on hand congress adjourned on march fourth eighteen sixty five and mr lincoln on that day was inaugurated for a second term an extra session of the senate only was called immediately to act on presidential nominations but it continued in session until about the eighteenth of march 
i was anxious to clear up as many as possible of these imprisonment cases before leaving for home i accordingly had my clerk classify them according to the evidence in each case giving the name of the prisoner the character of his offence together with a statement of the proofs or evidence against him i caused them to be divided into three classes into the first class i put those of whose innocence i had but little doubt into the second class those whose innocence was more doubtful but whom i believed it would be safe and proper under the circumstances to release the third class consisted of those who ought still to be retained in confinement as i had very little time before leaving for the west i took the first and second classes to the president and asked their pardon and release mr lincoln looked over the list and then said do you mean to tell me henderson that you wish me to let loose all these people at once yes i said i believe it can be easily done but said mr lincoln i have no time to examine the evidence i am constantly reproached for my too abundant charity and what would be said if i should turn loose so many sinners at once and again what would be the influence in missouri i believe mr president i said that the influence would be most beneficial the war is nearly over the day for generosity and kindness has come do you really think so said the president yes the rebellion is broken the rebels will soon be returning to their homes if permitted to do so what i especially wish is to prevent in my state a prolonged guerrilla warfare the rebels are already conquered in war let us try charity and kindness rather than repression and severity the policy of mercy will prove to be a wise reconstruction measure i hope you are right said the president but i have no time to examine this evidence if i sign this list as a whole will you be responsible for the future good behavior of the men yes i said then i will take the risk and sign it said the president and after inserting in his own handwriting the word pardoned after the name of each person who had been convicted of offences by military commission he signed the general order of release and returned the paper to me thank you mr president but that is not all i have another list here i hope you are not going to make me let loose another lot yes i am not quite so sure of the merits of this list but i believe the men are not dangerous and it will be good policy to let them go i think it's safer and better to err on the side of mercy yes said mr lincoln but you know i am charged with making too many mistakes on the side of mercy mr president my argument for this is the same as in the other case the war is substantially over the guilt of these men is at least doubtful and mercy is and must be after all the policy of peace i guess you are right said mr lincoln yes i said i am sure i am and i think that you ought to sign it well i'll be durned if i don't said the president and he signed his name after inserting the word pardoned over the name of those laboring under conviction this was the only time that i have ever heard mr lincoln use a word which approached profanity now mr henderson he said as he handed the list back to me remember you are responsible to me for these men if they do not behave i shall have to put you in prison for their sins a few days after this interview with mr henderson the president decided to take a holiday 
the first he had taken since he entered the White House in 1861. Boarding a river steamer with a few friends, he went to City Point on the James River, where General Grant had his headquarters. Here he could not possibly be reached by the office-seekers incident to a new term, and here, too, he would be near the operations which he felt would soon end the war. Grant's headquarters at this time were in a group of cottages on a high bluff at the juncture of the Appomattox and James Rivers. It was a point which commanded a view of a wide and active scene, including many places made historic by the operations of the four years just past. To the north were the flats of Bermuda Hundred, with the conspicuous lookout tower, with tents and barracks and wharves, beyond the wooded slopes of Malvern Hill, looking eastward across the great bay which the confluence of the two rivers makes here could be seen harrison's landing on every side wharves ran out from the shore here night and day steamers transports gunboats were coming and going unloading men and supplies carrying away wounded and prisoners the president's little steamer anchored at the foot of the bluff and here he lived for some ten days it had been intended that on the day of his arrival at City Point, March 25th, the President should review a portion of the troops on the Petersburg line. But that morning, the final struggle between besieged and besiegers was begun by the unexpected attack of the Confederates on Fort Stedman. A terrific battle followed, and the review was deferred. Comparative quiet followed this attack for some five days, and in this interim Lincoln visited the lines behind Petersburg with Grant several times to review the troops and watch the operations, and he spent considerable time sailing up and down the river with Admiral Porter on his flagship. Two days after the President reached City Point, Sherman, whose army had, since the fall of Atlanta, marched to the sea and as far northward as Goldsboro, North Carolina, and was now expecting soon to meet the Confederate army under Johnston, came to City Point to confer with Grant and Lincoln. Both generals agreed that their work was nearly over, but each thought he must fight another great battle. The President urged them to avoid this, if possible. No more bloodshed was his repeated counsel. Grant's final movements began on March 31st. Lincoln at City Point sat all day in the telegraph office at headquarters, as at critical moments he did in Washington, receiving reports from Grant and sending them on to Stanton. It was he who first informed the War Department of Sheridan's success at Five Points on April 1st. It was he who, on the morning of April 3rd, wired the Secretary of War that at last Petersburg was evacuated, and Richmond said to be. A few hours later, he went at Grant's request to Petersburg for a last interview with the general before he followed his army, which was now moving after the retreating Confederate army. The city had suffered terribly from the long siege, many of its houses being destroyed, and all being more or less riddled by shot and shell. Even today, a visitor to Petersburg is shown house after house, where great cannonballs are embedded in the walls. As Lincoln rode through the streets, busy as he was with the stupendous event he had so long desired, he noticed the destruction with a sorry shake of his head. The talk with Grant was held on the porch of a comfortable house still standing, and then the two parted. 
grant to go to appomattox lincoln to city point the news of the abandonment of richmond on april second had by this time reached city point lincoln's first exclamation on receiving the news was i want to see richmond a party was at once arranged and on the morning of april fourth he started up the river the trip must have been full of exciting interest to the president leading as it did by a score of places which had been made forever famous by the struggles of war which he knew now to be over malvern hill deep bottom dutch gap verena it was full of real danger too for there was no way of knowing positively that the stream was free from torpedoes or the banks entirely cleared of the enemy the entrance into richmond was even more dangerous here was the president of the united states with four companions and a guard of only ten marines entering on foot a city which for four years he had been doing his utmost to capture by force that city was in a condition of the wildest confusion the army and government had abandoned it fire had destroyed a large part of it and was still raging the federals who had entered the day before had not as yet established any effective patrol a hostile people filled the streets and hung from the windows and yet through this chaos of misery disorganization and defeat abraham lincoln walked in safety more as it was noised abroad that he had come his passage became a triumph the negroes full of superstitious veneration for the name of lincoln flocked about him weeping praise the lord cried one there is the great messiah and throwing himself on his knees he kissed the president's feet it was only after a long struggle that the guard was able to conduct mr lincoln from this tumultuous rejoicing crowd and bring him safe to the house of jefferson davis now the headquarters of the federal troops the president remained two days in richmond carefully going over the situation and discussing the best means of restoring union authority and of dealing with the individuals who had been in insurrection the president was emphatic in his opinion the terms must be liberal get them to ploughing once he said in admiral porter's presence and gathering in their own little crops eating popcorn at their own firesides and you can't get them to shoulder a musket again for half a century being cheered at city point the day after he left richmond by a crowd of confederate prisoners he said again to admiral porter they will never shoulder a musket again in anger and if grant is wise he will leave them their guns to shoot crows with and their horses to plough with it would do no harm as to the people of richmond his one counsel to the military governor was to let them down easy nor would he while there listen to a word of harshness in the treatment of even the leaders of the rebellion one day when visiting libby prison a member of the party remarked to him that jefferson davis ought to be hung judge not that ye be not judged charles sumner heard him quote no bitterness was in his soul only a great thankfulness that the end seemed so near and a firm determination to regulate with mercy all questions of reconstruction returning to city point mr lincoln learned that mr seward had been thrown from a carriage and injured and he resolved to go at once to washington he had only just reached there when he received word that on april ninth general lee had surrendered his army to general grant at appomattox this could mean but one thing the war was over 
no force was now left to the enemy which must not surrender on hearing that the principal confederate force had laid down its arms immediately the president and his associates began the glad task of shutting down the vast war machinery in operation the first act being to issue an order suspending the draft End of section 15